What's going on, everyone? And thank you for listening to the Self-Disruption Podcast, where we talk about lifelong learning, leadership, and innovation with the top minds in their field today. Brought to you by SEAC, a global leader in lifelong learning and innovation. Check them out at seasiacenter.com. I've got all their details down in the show notes. I'm your host, Dana Blue, and in this episode, I sit down with David Henderson, the founder and CEO of Driver. We talk about his work prior to founding Driver and how he implemented agile development methodologies at large organizations like the Royal Bank of Scotland and Intelematics Australia. We get into some of the challenges he faced implementing internal change, how those changes drove internal innovation and resulted in higher customer satisfaction. So sit back, relax, and let's get right into it. David, man, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I asked you here because I really want to talk about implementing agile in a business. Now, I know at Driver, when you started Driver, right from the get-go, it was an agile shop. But you actually implemented agile methodologies twice before. You were telling me the Royal Bank of Scotland, kind of on the team level, but then at Intelematics, you changed over the entire development to agile. So I kind of want to go back into that and talk about how you made those changes and sort of the benefits that you saw from the innovation side. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, let me just go back a little bit further. And no. No? <laughs> no, no go oh, okay. <laughs> go I want to go back a little bit further, Dana, and talk about why, what first convinced me that Agile was the way to go. Yeah. Um, so way back in 2008, 2009, back in the UK, in London, I was working for a company called Hotel Connect. Mm. Now, we were using waterfall methodology. Mm -hmm. um, we we, I, I was responsible for this, in fact. I wrote up a huge uh, you know, business requirements document. Mm -hmm. The business needed a new booking engine. Our old one was getting tired, and we just couldn't handle the bookings anymore. So this is back in the early days of you know, the uh, OTAs, online travel agents. Yeah. So we wrote up the business requirements. That took six months interviewing in each individual team, and then we sent that off to a third-party development shop in Sri Lanka. And they, we waited and waited and waited. And they came back to us about a year later and said, okay, well, we've, got, we've done your development. Um, and they ticked off all the requirements and they gave us what they had done. Mm -hmm. um, and a year is a long time in business. Things That's had changed sure. significantly. Things had moved on. In tech. Absolutely, in tech as well. And, you know, we looked at what they developed and they'd actually been building a product for themselves and for other customers. It wasn't... Um, a match to what we wanted. Mm. So what we had, what we found was that we, we'd taken on a lot of risk, and I realized almost immediately that okay, we have we didn't actually get any visibility up until the very last minute. We had a a totally wrong approach to doing software development. Mm. So that spurred me. That kind of failure uh, spurred me into looking at what had gone wrong and how I could have done something better. I think a big part of that failure must have been if you if you think back to it as well as all of your competitors would have passed you by in that year had mm. they been using an agile methodology, right? Absolutely. I mean, look, our main competitor at the time was a company called Expedia, which you may have heard of. Well, um, small <laughs> company, yeah. Yeah, so Expedia um, were actually smaller than us at that time. We, we had a significant lead on Expedia. Mm. Uh, but the failure of this project, which I put my hand up and I had a responsibility in that, um, you know, it was it already been well underway before I joined. Of so, course, you know. of course. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I had some responsibility from that. But yeah. I learned from that experience and I learned from that mistake. Um, what I learned from that was you need um, to, you need small 
deliverables, right? Mm. You need to be able to deliver things um, weekly, fortnightly, on a regular basis. The business needs to see what the development team's doing. The development team needs to know what the business is doing. The two have to work together. You can't have a, let's throw something over the fence, wait for the devs to come back to it. That just doesn't work. In my experience, that's a recipe for disaster. Now that's how we were doing things back in like the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. In my, my time in tech, is that we would do these huge waterfall rollouts where mm-hmm. we would build a whole product. It might have been three months or six months. Yep. And then you roll it out and maybe someone else released something in the meantime or a mm. week later something better comes out. Mm. And you go back to the drawing board with these kind of long development cycles. The nice thing I like about Agile, which you said, you get like almost weekly or, or fortnightly mm. updates where you're seeing incremental changes to the product and it's actually spurring a lot of new ideas and creativity mm-hmm. in the team, the product team or the development team, or you're getting more feedback from the sales team as well mm-hmm. as far as like, hey, the customer really liked this or they, they would like to see some changes here mm-hmm. or could you do this as well for the customer? And mm-hmm. you know, you start to get a much more innovative process of development that's yeah. in line with the work that sort of organically happens from a business development standpoint. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's completely true. I mean, the growth of Agile has been in lockstep with the growth of the startup community. Yeah, for sure. Without Agile software development, you know, startups are just much harder to do. Um, if you had to do everything waterfall, your, you know, your product market fit, your feedback loop cycle would be much longer. Yeah. And, you know, realistically, you'd be out-competed by others. So, so you'd have like a four-year time just to get to market. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Potentially. Mm-hmm. Now, I know when you were at Royal Bank of Scotland, I want to jump ahead a little bit, mm. that you were you implemented this on a team level. Yes, that's right. So what was that like coming into a team at the Royal Bank of Scotland and then changing the way that you implemented development at just that one sort of unit when mm. everyone else is doing something different? Well, it was it was actually a really tough, uh, tough gig. So we... Um, I, I'm sure some of the listeners would have, would have worked in banks or large mm. corporations before, and it's a really tough environment. You've got a lot of project controls. Yeah. Um, fortunately, in this particular team that I was working in, we had the opportunity to uh, work somewhat independently. And I think that's one of the things that Agile, to some extent, gives you is the ability to work autonomously and independently. Mm-hmm. Um, even in that environment, we did have some ability to do autonomous or independent work. Um, so. Th- Basically, it was it was part of what was called the Rainbow Project, which was a major rollout um, for the for the bank, a acquisition of part of the bank by another bank, mm. um, and we had to do very rapid software development. Um, the team I was working with was almost all outsourced people; it wasn't bank staff as yep. such. So that gave us a little bit more independent and a little bit more flexibility. And we we introduced things like daily standups, um, and this kind of grew organically and. The, the top management in the business unit was quite um, adoptive to change, um, and they allowed this culture to develop internally. And that's one of the things I've found is, you know, in my career, and I would recommend this to anyone, is try things, make a change, don't be afraid of doing risk, build a bit of a groundswell for doing new things, and new things can happen. You can make it happen yourself. I, I was reading something just the other day about businesses who, business leaders who are actually able to change their mindset to allow change and actually take mm-hmm. risk. I, I, a lot of times I'll talk to people about, you know, developing sort of an appetite for risk in certain mm-hmm. situations. Mm-hmm. And being open to change is just that. It, mm-hmm. It's an appetite to risk. But 
having that ability to change that mindset that allows you to to push outside the envelope a little bit opens you up to this sort of process that can welcome innovation. And I think what you said, Royal Bank of Scotland's a huge bank. I think at one point it was like the largest bank in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And an organization that size, change can be scary at any mm-hmm. level. And a lot of people can push back on it. But I think you need, like you were there, you were the sort of advocate mm-hmm. for that change, for Agile going into th- that team. And you got positive results. Yes, I did. It was a very difficult, difficult environment to yeah. work in. And um, it, effectively, I created an internal startup. Um, and that the reason that was allowed to flourish and grow was that we were getting results. And that was what it was all about. Yeah. Was it difficult for you to change the mindset of some of the people that were working on your team towards being sort of that internal startup, changing the way they were doing things and moving forward? Did they Were they kind of trying to still hold on to the corporate way? Yeah, there um, there were some people like that on the team, and mm-hmm. I also had that experience in in other companies like Intellimatics where mm-hmm. I worked at. So, um, look, basically, you need to show people results, right? Initially, you'll always get people who are, um, you know, naysayers and, mm-hmm. and are worried and scared, and and particularly those people who've been comfortable at work. They've been there for a long time. They they don't they're fearful of change. How do you get them to see past that fear of change or or step out of that comfort zone? Because for a lot of people. You used a great analogy just now when you said that you essentially created an internal startup, mm-hmm. which I, I think is a great way to look at a business unit sometimes and say, okay, this is an internal startup. Mm-hmm. We're going to do things differently. The problem is that you've taken a bunch of people that have been doing things the same way and put them in a position where mm-hmm. you're now asking them to do something different and mm-hmm. not feel comfortable. And that can be hard because for a lot of people, their mindset is, yeah, I came to work because I wanted the security of working mm-hmm. for someone. I don't want to be an entrepreneur. I don't mm-hmm. want to work for a startup. And now I'm in this internal business unit that's being treated like a startup. And I have mm-hmm. I have no rules that guide me in what I do. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you ease that transition? Well, I mean, I think it's very important to to have not just be on your own with this, but to bring other people on board. Mm. My style of management and what I would recommend to to others is take a bit of a consensus approach. So don't try and impose things from above. Right? Mm. Convince people that it's the right thing to do. Show through doing. Mm. I found that that approach works really well, and it also reduces the risk. But I also find that there are a small group of people who are influencers and have they may not be um you know the the management of that company or, or top people in the company but they are influencers i'll give mm. you a good example of this i met with uh, cat telecom last year mm. um and cat uh, there was a, a kind of weird meeting there was about 30 people on their side and l- one person on their side who spoke english um, i'm sure there may be more people in the room who spoke english but one person who spoke it fluently and he that person kind of became the influencer significantly on their side and yet he was an intern and <laughs> it was quite a, an amazing experience yeah and so he was the one who kind of edged the deal along yes absolutely and without him being there i mean we had a thai translator with us mm. um but without someone on their side who was actually embracing it and wanting to change things it would have been much more difficult very interesting mm. yeah it's, it's a good point find those influences within the uh, if you're looking at your team who's the most influential person might not mm-hmm. be the supervisor or the manager and get mm-hmm. them on board yep. and hopefully it starts to break down some of those barriers for sure yep. now when you went to Intellimatics, you essentially ran most of the company correct um 
I ran about a third of the company, or yeah. half, just under half. Yeah, and you brought Agile there with you from from uh, Europe, when Royal Bank of Scotland, immediately prior to that, or no? Um, that's right. Yeah, yeah, immediately prior was at um, at Royal Bank of Scotland. And so you sort of brought Agile with you to there. Yeah, well, the company already had a something they called Agile there, but um, it was unlike Agile I'd seen anywhere else. You know, <laughs> it looked yeah. a lot like Waterfall. Well, no, no, <laughs> it was it was um, kind of like a Maoist Great Cultural Revolution style of Agile. So um, they had daily stand-up meetings yeah. and. People had a sign hanging around their neck saying, "You know, I'm a capitalist dog," or, you know, <laughs> and they they were they were expected to to explain why they didn't do something yesterday and oh. and get beaten up by their you know scrum master who was you know there to slap them around basically. Gotcha. It was like a mere culpa sort of exercise on your hands and knees, and you know there was a really poisonous culture there, which was actually just one person. Yeah. So how'd you fight that coming in? Well, I got rid of that person to start with. Okay. Um, that was a, I mean, it was just clear to me. I mean, I, first of all, what I did was I understood, tried to understand the situation. I, mm. sat, I interviewed people, and this was a, a quite a traumatic experience. I mean, um, this company had gone through, uh, this one person had that much influence in the company that they'd reduced people to tears. And, you know, really? you know it was just a, it was a poisonous in a, a situation. No, but the management of the company had allowed that develop to develop because the company functioned in a in a way that I've seen some companies function like this. There, it's, it was like a group of individuals looking after their own turf. It wasn't um, everyone pushing in the same direction. It was like four or five different, um, you know, local warlords who were uh, a little bit similar to the way Myanmar's run. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So you, you were able to kind of cut that person out, take yes, them out yeah. of the, the circle, and then make changes to the the approach of Agile at the company? Yes. And yeah. Now, because they had had kind of a negative experience with the concept of Agile mm -hmm. that was implemented, was that a tougher sell? or It was a tougher sell. And there were, there were a few people who were, yeah, well, we've tried that. It's awful. It's just not the way to yeah. do things. So I didn't use the term Agile, um, and we, we did – things quite differently so um, there was much more focus on the team mm -hmm. right, and on uh, retrospectives and we started to make changes almost immediately so when I say we this wasn't just me doing this I actually had I gave the team confidence in themselves mm. so the team was what mattered and the team is what matters in agile and how do you structure that team in agile to get the most out of it well the team needs to be able to do um, to be autonomous to be able to deliver work right mm. so th this team had actually already built some pretty awesome products right um it was just that the the culture had become so poisonous that they didn't recognize themselves of what what they had built it also right. sounds like they maybe didn't have that autonomy under the previous regime we'll call it yes yeah that was definitely a, an issue and one of the earliest things i did was i said okay well look what we have this mm. is an amazing thing that you've built so far let's get this out into the hands of customers almost as soon as we can so we can start to get some real feedback feedback is not about you know somebody saying well you know one of the managers of the company prefers that font over this font mm. that doesn't matter it's about what the customers want and how we can make this into a viable product how do you get the teams who had been sort of micromanaged up until that point to be comfortable with the the autonomous nature that you were trying to implement in the, within the team it was actually difficult i actually had to 
rebuild the team, form and reform the team. Mm. Um, you know that 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 whole team building process had to begin from scratch, effectively. Mm. Like the team was so broken in the way that it had been working, that you know it really required pulling the team apart and then re re restructuring it. How long did it take until you start to see some real results once you got on board and started structuring things? It wasn't actually that long a process. So, I mean, basically, within a matter of a few weeks, we had functioning. We had a functioning team. We had code being written, code being developed, code being released, mm. and within three months, we had a product out there in the market to customers. Nice, and you were getting your feedback cycle and your loops yeah. were going, and everything was was solid. Yes, absolutely. I mean, look, there was still a long way to go. I mean, the the that. That organization was kind of a little bit, it was a, it's an auto club owned by the members in mm. theory. So it functions a little bit like a committee. Um, they don't, there's not much of a set, like um, one of the things that was completely wrong with that organization was they didn't have us, they were talking about things like commercialization, which I mean, to me, that's just a nonsense. You, you're a commercial organization. Commercialization is what you do, mm. right? Why is that something you bring on later or a year, uh, two years down the track? It's, you're not building stuff for the sake of it. You're, you are a commercial entity. Mm. <laughs> that, that's yeah. just one of the weirdest terms I've heard. You know? Some of those, yeah. some of those uh, issues might have been what drove you to start your own company, move to Asia. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was just talking about this issue this morning. In fact, in a in a separate meeting, and yeah. and saying that, um, you know, a, a company that's run by people who spend most of their time in a golf club in Hillsville, um, you know, and and are supposedly committed to the benefit of their members, but. You know that's not really what they're doing. Mm. You know that that's that's not something which drives change, right? Mm. Now, hundred-year-old organizations, you know, there's not that many of them left in the world, and that's probably for good reason. Companies, people don't want to buy stuff from old companies. They want to buy stuff from companies that are new, that are changing, that are evolving. Mm. Not to say that if you're a company that's been around for a hundred years, you don't deserve to be, but Even those companies evolve new. and they change. Yeah. You know, for sure. Mm. Well, David, we're just about out of time, so. I really appreciate you coming by talking to me about how you've implemented Agile and mm -hmm. some of the steps that you've taken. Uh, I know you've been a, a big evangelist for Agile mm -hmm. methodologies here in Southeast Asia. I've mm -hmm. seen you talk about it a few times to the communities, the tech and startup communities here in Bangkok especially. If you could leave us with just three things to take away as far as actions that can be taken to implement Agile and how mm -hmm. to be more innovative with it, what would they be? Well, I would say one of the things to look at today is the integration of design thinking and mm -hmm. agile. I think that's a crucial um, innovation that's happened in the last few years. I mean, design thinking has been around for some time, mm -hmm. so has agile, but having the two things combined and one leading into the other makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say is, um, and this is more aimed at the Southeast Asian um, startups and, and agile practitioners, is give your teams autonomy. Be willing to take risks. Mm. Um, and I think trust in people. Um, I've, I've seen some awesome agile teams here in Thailand and Southeast Asia. Um, and that's because the companies have allowed their teams to lead. Mm. Right? They've given them a bit of autonomy. They allow them to, to do, give them a little a bit of leeway. Mm. If you try and control things too much as a manager or a leader, that's not good. You need to give your teams the ability to, to, to deliver to their maximum potential. Fantastic. David, thank you so much for coming by. I'll see you soon. Thanks, Dana. You've been listening to the Self-Disruption Podcast, brought to you by SEAC. To find amazing resources on lifelong learning, 
leadership and innovation, you can check them out at seasiacenter.com as well as their links in the show notes. And for more great conversations like this one, you can find our archive at selfdisruptionpodcast.com.